Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle. We're that people dashboard that's helping all you HR leaders out there to stay away from the manual, tedious, and time-consuming process you all call HR reporting. That's right. We understand that when it comes time to get and gain a data-driven view of your workforce, you're typically logging into all these different HR systems and pulling messy spreadsheets and trying to turn that all into something like a dashboard or a presentation, but you're always thinking there has to be a better way. Well, look no further. That's why Employee Cycle created our People Dashboard with pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems you're all using. Systems like EDP, namely Bamboo HR, Zenefits, Paylocity, Trinet, 15.5, Greenhouse, Lever, you name it. All you do is simply connect your systems, we pull in all your data, we automate your entire HR reporting and analytics process so that you can have a source of truth for all your people data. Want to learn more? Please go to EmployeePsycho.com. Check us out. Would love to give you a demo. But that's enough about me and our company because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Pam Stampin. She's the Chief People Officer at Task. And today we're going to discuss how to authentically create a more inclusive and equitable workforce. Pam. Welcome to the podcast. So, Pam, thanks so much for being on this show. And we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how. And that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Um, I didn't come straightly here. I, I have always been a catalyst for change and always thought people were central to those changes. So when I came into the business workforce, I came in and on the business side and process improvement side. And um, it led me to many different leadership roles across my career. And then when I finally got to HR in about the eighth or ninth role, um, it was a very authentic fit because it took my love of people process and system in the service of the customer where I could move it forward with the lever that in the place that was most authentic for me, which was the people part of that equation. So here I am. Awesome. So Pam, you've used the word authentic a couple times already, and it's totally aligned with our topic. So I have to ask, what does authentic and authenticity mean to you? To be authentic, it means to me that you're moving forward with something that you really believe in at your core. You're not doing something um, for lip service or for just material gain, but you're moving forward with something that you believe uh, is very impactful on a core level to you and to your organization. And um, when we start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I myself and our organization are taking a very deep look at ourselves to try to figure out in an authentic way, not just to put something on a banner that we care about this, but in a very authentic way, digging into our processes, our systems, and how do we make sure that we move from a non-racist company to an anti-racist company by really exploring ourselves. And um, we care about it 
deeply and um, but we need to turn our passion and our compassion into action, which we think authentically helps the world, helps our clients, helps our company, brings innovation, brings all kinds of goodness. And so just trying to dig in and unpack what that means for us. So speaking of unpacking, you just mentioned two different types of companies, some being non-racist, others being anti-racist. What's the difference? Because I don't know if a lot of people truly understand the definition or the movement around anti-racism. So for us, in my very uh, simple words, being non-racist means you do what you can to try not to purposefully do things that are racist, but you also may not take any steps to do anything different. You just try not to do things that are blatantly racist. To be anti-racist, I think you have to go in as an organization and take a look at what are the things that you're doing that might be creating unconscious bias, because we all have those things, and things you might be doing inadvertently to You don't mean to harm anybody, but you're not purposely trying to help either. So to me, anti-racist is a more proactive position in trying to improve ourselves as an organization versus non-racist means you're just not doing anything wrong, trying not to do anything wrong versus trying to do things right. Is that that clear? It is. It is. And I love the fact that we're going down this path because when it comes to things like authenticity, inclusion, equity, things that may not be as cut and dry or black and white in regards to metrics and numbers. And I mean, we know because this is an area that we try to help companies, it, it sometimes gets lost. And people talk about it at such a high, lofty, fluffy level. that it's a lot of terms that people just throw around, but then no action is actually taking because people are just talking about it in this very theoretical way. So Can you give some examples in regards to what would a non-racist company look like versus an anti-racist company? I'll go into the HR processes and systems and and the details that we're looking at right now to to try to make a difference to move from non-racist to anti-racist. So a non-racist company would have, uh, they have no job descriptions with job competencies and job expectations. We've gone in and now we're trying to take a look at all of our job descriptions to see, are they really just asking for things that are needed to do the job or are we asking for things in that job that people really don't need to do the job but might be setting up a barrier to have more people to be able to apply? So, for example, at our company, we've actually taken a look at what is You know, where do you need to have a degree or an advanced degree to do the work? And to be honest, our our founder and our CEO of our company did not graduate from college. So right now we're asking ourselves, why does anybody, (laughs) if you can do the work and our owner never went to college, why should we have college on really many, any of our jobs? I mean, so we're at that level. We haven't asked that question before. So which jobs can be done remotely and which jobs require you to be on site? What we've identified now is a lot of jobs, we're not touching as much paper. So as long as people have a place to be where it's quiet and they could work, 
why must they have to have transportation to get to an office? So, you know, is transportation a barrier? Is childcare a barrier? Is education a barrier? Who are the suppliers we're working with when we build our, our RFPs? Have we looked at our supplier base? Have we looked at our entire supply chain to see, um, are we putting up any barriers in our supply chain? So um, we're trying to go look very internally in places where you might not be looking for bias and, and actually looking for it. And so we would have always said we're a, we're a non-racist company because we don't purposefully put up barriers. But have we unconsciously put up barriers that are keeping us from getting the talent that we need to get the work done for our customers in a way that we haven't thought about before. So for us, we're, we're starting in HR and trying to model that for our organization by looking deep into our, our people, our processes, our systems, and have we inadvertently set up bias and trying to solve for them. That was a huge unlock and hopefully aha moment for a lot of people listening when they think, wow, my CEO, founder, name any executive at my company doesn't have a degree or an advanced degree or maybe didn't even finish high school. And yet you're asking people for 10, 15, 20 years, PhD, you know, Harvard, Stanford, all of this stuff where the person who runs the company doesn't have any of that. That's awesome. So I hear a lot about the barriers that you saw that you were trying to remove in regards to the recruiting and hiring process. But when it comes to becoming anti-racist and as inclusive as possible in regards to your existing employees, what does that look like? That is such a great question, Bruce, because you don't, you don't unlock the formula by just finding new ways to bring people into your organization. If you can't find ways to keep people in your organization because you're actually authentically showing that you care and that you want and that you value that contribution and that then you're you're not even you're not even partway there and i think when we think about how we're trying to think about things is we don't want to say there's no difference between people we actually want to say the difference between people is what makes them special and figuring out all the things that make us similar and have similar focus as employees of the same company, but then also value the difference in each other and, and bring that difference forward in a, in a good and healthy way. And so our client base is very diverse. We can't understand our client base if our employee base is not also diverse. And if we're not also inclusive of that diversity, and then equitable in how we uh, work together. So we're um, right now, again, we're on the front end and we're, we're trying to figure it out and we're going to stumble. No, we're not going to be perfect because we're learning in this space. But I've, I have taken a look at what is our composition of our employee base. And we have a lot of diversity based on the acquisitions that we've done in different uh, geographic regions of the company country. And yet, when I look at our leadership team and how we're promoting, we're promoting gender diversity. We have a lot of good mix of gender. When I took a, take a look at racial or ethnic diversity, we have 
three women of color, two two women who are black and one woman who is a, a Hispanic in our entire leadership team. We have no men of color in our leadership team. And I was just looking at that the other day that just surprised me a lot. So um, I don't know the reasons or the causes. Those are things that we need to look at to figure out how do we promote talented people that look like our clients and our customers in a way that's authentic. And we have a ways to go with regard to doing that. So what I'm finding when I hear from a lot of companies and a lot of HR professionals like yourself is that when you're coming up with these plans to become more diverse, more inclusive, more equitable, nine times out of 10, because the company isn't already diverse, you tend to have a lot of non-diverse or typically white women and men pulling together these plans to become more diverse. And so the question is, do you think that the plans can come together in a way where they're authentic without actually having people from the underrepresented groups to help figure out how to solve the problem? But then how do you do that if you don't already have those people within your management team or your leadership team already? Does that mean you need to hire consultants? What does that look like? How are you thinking about that? It's a great question. And the answer, the short answer to the question is no, I don't think we can solve it without more voices. We do have diversity in our ranks. We don't have diversity in our management team. And so um, we do have employee resource groups from the LBGT community, from folks that work remotely, folks that have uh, families versus folks that don't have families. Um, We do have people of color who are willing to work with us to try to help answer those questions. Um, I am going out into our community. We work with a lot. We have resource HR leadership teams that in our geography where we share findings and learnings and research to try to get better, even if it's outside of our own company basis. And I think what you have to do for someone like me is I have to look in the mirror and I have to humble myself and, and, and say, there's so much I need to learn myself to be more aware, but I will never be a person of color. I I can't, I I can't do that. So I have to humble myself to be the best learner I can. And I also can't expect, um, I actually think being anti-racist is, it's a white problem. It's, it's not, it's not a, a problem for people of color uh, of any kind to solve for me. It's not your problem. It's, it's mine. It's ours, right? But we have to open our ears and open our eyes and open our minds to that awareness and try to figure out whatever fo- folks are willing to share to help us get, get better. Um, I know I'm rambling a bit now, but I don't think we can solve it alone. But I also don't put it on anybody else's back to try and solve it with us. But anybody who's willing to come in with us, um, we just want to be sponges and, and, and learn from making mistakes and doing things right to just get better gradually. It's not something, you know, moved from non-racist to anti-racist overnight. It's, it's not a campaign. 
It doesn't have a beginning and an end. It's a way of being. And um, it will take time, but we are committed. I'm glad you said it's not a campaign because a lot of companies have been flagged and caught out for creating campaigns, especially after George Floyd. And, oh, we care so much about underrepresented people. We care so much about police brutality. We care so much about all these things that are happening. And they seem to just be things that they were saying. And now people are really calling them out because they're saying, okay, you made all these big, bold claims about all these things you were going to do six months ago. And now nothing has changed in the organization. So it seems to me that you really are being as introspective as you could be to really understand that it shouldn't just be a a moment, but a movement. Um, The last question that I want to ask around is regarding equity. It seems as though when diversity was really taking off, I'll call it over the past three to five years, people have really been talking about diversity and then DNI and now it's DEI, but it seems that the E seems to be the least known about or the least spoken about. So what is equity? I mean, from a tech standpoint, I understand what equity means. We give equity to investors and to employees and people on our team, but what does equity mean outside of pure stock equity or, you know, part of the company? Yeah. So equity, not, not from a financial, um, perspective is that not that you give everybody everybody or treat everybody the same you treat everybody the way they need to have the same um, opportunity to succeed so I know most people have seen this little image of three kids trying to watch a baseball game over a fence but they're of different heights you gave them all the same bench one kid might be able to see over the fence, but the other two might not still be able to see. So if the objective is for them to see the baseball game over the fence, they need to have a stool that's high enough for them to see over the fence, right? And so it's really trying to think about how do we create not an equal playing field, but a level playing field. So everybody has a chance to participate and bring their best to the work. And so if we have um, an employee who is emotionally distressed, but a very good worker and has a support pet animal that they bring with them, but once they have their support animal, they can, they can move mountains. We need to allow that to have happen. If somebody's um, great at doing their job, but they have, we have employees right now that don't have permanent housing. So um, we work with them to provide a, a, a work environment that even though they don't have permanent housing in this uh, COVID environment, we actually traded jobs for that person with another person at the company. We had a person who had internet connection in a stable environment and they had one job and we had another employee that didn't have stable housing or stable environment. They actually traded jobs. So So the person who didn't have a stable place to work could be considered an essential worker and come in and work on site where the other person who had a place to work took their job and could that job could be done remotely. So it's just about providing people what they need and making the accommodations or changes we needed to make to help everyone be successful. And that's what we're looking at equity to be. Awesome. And then the last question I want to ask you is around the authentic part. 
a lot of people seem to be focusing on DEI, but a lot of people might not be getting the authenticity part right of this movement and of this project. So if there was one thing that you would want to leave our audience with in regards to being authentic, what would that be? That's a great question. I think authenticity, like most things, um, I usually say start with self. I think it's very hard to change hearts and minds if your heart and mind is not into it yourself. And if we have more people with hearts and minds in our organizations that understand and embrace within their core who they are and who what they need to learn and who they need who we need to learn from that care and that commission that compassion that resonates from the inside out when we have more people more leaders who we we've, we've taken a number of leaders through some training about history and business and systemic racism now in ways that they haven't looked at it before. And you can see who's really grabbing onto themselves. And then these are the leaders we're bringing into helping other people lead because the passion is there. And if the passion is there and the internal passion is there, uh, the movement will grow from the inside out. What we talk about is do, don't say, you know, say is, is only worth so much, but when you actually bring your actions with your words, it's very meaning, much more meaningful. So, Pam, thanks for all these wise words and all this wisdom that you've shared and this experience and really being super vulnerable and transparent and authentic about your process, where you are, the challenges that you're dealing with and how you're looking to overcome them and really helping our audience truly understand what it means to be authentic in this process. So thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest. Thank you. But I'm trying. So thank you so much for the time, Bruce. Really appreciate it. Of course. So Pam, where can people find you and task online? So we're at um, taskonline.com and is, is our, is our, Place and we are um, my my email is p.stampin at taskonline.com. And I have you know I'm on LinkedIn and I'm in all the other places where people hang out if anybody has any questions. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all your contact info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening to this awesome episode, if you enjoyed it as much as Pam and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it shows that we're providing great content. Also, if you really enjoyed this episode and know you're hungry for more podcasts like it, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all you super awesome HR leaders, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.